My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Well, the liberal junta is turning cartwheels now that Joseph R. Biden has been adjudged president. You'd think it was Russian May Day, the way the socialists have been getting sloppy drunk on Prosecco and firing off bottle rockets. Some wags have even been referring to the Republicans as Republicans. So cocky have they become. Yes, sirree, say the blue staters. Now we can save pretty pink butterflies by driving tiny electric vehicles. Isn't that swell? Well, ladies and gentlemen, they wouldn't be so self-satisfied if they knew the true story behind the election. But you'll know, because old Farmer Gray, he's going to set you straight. Straight as the yellow line down 315 in the stretch between Sardis and Sledge. So folks, let me take you back now to a day in early October when Mr. Trump was, as usual, hard at work in the Oval Office. There he was, signing legislation mandating that all wounded soldiers be promoted to general, when suddenly he was interrupted by a knock at the door. Come in, says the president. My office is open to all, including and especially the very poorest of citizens. But turns out his visitor was not somebody down on their luck to whom Mr. Trump might offer ten bucks in a sandwich. It was his campaign manager, Mr. Bill Stepien. Sorry to interrupt, sir, says he, but I couldn't wait to tell you the good news. The latest polls show you way ahead in every part of the country. Come election day, you won't just get 270 electoral votes, you'll get all the electoral votes. If we keep our lead, you'll have won re-election by 6 o'clock that night. Mr. Trump nodded. Uh-huh, he said. That sounds nice. Nice, says Stepien. Why, that's stupendous. It'll show you to be exactly what you are, the most successful and beloved president this country's ever had. Well, gosh, says our commander-in-chief. I don't know if that's true. I mean, there was this fellow named George Washington, you know, and he was pretty popular. Then we'll call it a draw in that department, chuckled his campaign manager, always tickled by the commander-in-chief's humility. Though I must say, he continued, I'm sure General Washington would breathe easy knowing someone like you was in charge of this nation. As the visitor was leaving, Mr. Trump says, By the way, just one thing about the campaign. Yes, Mr. President, says Stepien. Make sure, says his boss, that it's conducted honorably. We don't want to brag about my accomplishments. That would be vain, and I won't have us committing the deadly sin of pride. Just let my record stand for itself and allow the American people to decide on that basis. Of course, sir, says Stepien. I wouldn't have it any other way. He then exited, nodding respectfully to Mr. Trump's wife, Melania, who was just herself entering the office. Oh, darling, says she, I just read the polls and it looks like we'll have a landslide victory on our hands. Well, shrugged the president, nothing's guaranteed. I guess we'll have to wait till next month. Brought up Baptist on a hard-scrabbled Texas farm, the first lady could sense when her man was feeling unsettled. What's the matter, my love, says she, and don't tell me nothing, because Jesus and your wife both know the truth. Mr. Trump sighed. I should have known you'd see straight through me, says he. I guess I was just wondering, is there more I could be doing? What do you mean, says Melania, more than being president? Well, says the commander-in-chief, the country's in such good shape now, it's practically running itself. Would four more years be redundant? 
Mr. But Mrs. Trump assured him he'd have plenty to do in his second term, not least of which, says she, is showing some of the stragglers how to accept Jesus into their heart. I suppose, says the president, resting his chin in his hand, I suppose. Melania kissed his forehead and called him her precious old dear. Then she headed out, for she had an American apple pie in the oven and dared not let it burn, not when it was Mr. Trump's favorite. After she'd left, the leader of the free world sat thinking for a moment. Then he nodded to himself, as if having reached some important decision, and in the next moment picked up the phone and dialed an outside number. Hello, he says. Bick McClutter? Bick, I've got a job for you. A month later, the evening of November 3rd, the commander-in-chief and first lady were seated in their usual booth at Merton's Diner, a greasy spoon in Falls Church, Virginia, just over the border from D.C. The couple liked to go there on a regular basis to rub elbows with everyday citizens, and as usual, Mr. Trump demurred when their favorite waitress, Agnes, offered to serve them before other customers who'd been waiting longer. No, ma'am, says, says he. Serve everyone in their turn. That's the American way. You're really racking up the electoral votes, sir, says she, indicating the returns on the television over the counter. We're all rooting for you, Mr. President. Oh, says Mr. Trump as Agnes filled his water glass. I'm rooting for whoever the American people decide on, for they are the wisest of arbiters. The waitress smiled, as she often did at the great man's humble bearing. Yes, sir, says she, and was off to tend to the next booth. You're winning in so many states, says Melania, observing the television. It's a good thing I got a higher education, you know, at that Bible college we both attended, or I'd never be able to count that high. Well, there's still the mail-in votes, says Mr. Trump. They've got to be tallied, too. Then he excused himself to use the restroom. But instead of heading there, he whispered to Agnes, Is there a payphone available? She directed him to what was probably the last such phone in all of Falls Church, just outside the kitchen. And if you're wondering why the president didn't just use a cellular telephone, the fact is he doesn't own such a device. One becomes obsessed with that little screen, he'd say, and that takes away time from family. Anyway, he dials the same number he did a month earlier, and when that big McClutter answered, Mr. Trump says but one word into the receiver. He says, now. And with that single command, ladies and gentlemen, the wheels of a great metaphorical machine began turning as messages were sent across the nation, alerting McClutter's associates that it was time to spring into action. I'll take you to one such location, Bucks County, Pennsylvania, where McClutter himself had arrived the previous Saturday, perched in readiness for election day. Within moments of the call, he set off in a truck painted to look like it belonged to the U.S. Postal Service, Fifteen minutes later, he pulled up to the Board of Elections, and as he exited the vehicle, noted a trio of teenage boys parked on bicycles out front. Say, fellas, says he, lifting the truck's back door to reveal a cargo of canvas sacks. You want to earn a shiny silver dollar, you can help me with these bags. Is that one dollar each, asks one of the lads, a tow-haired youngster in a windbreaker. That's right, says McClutter, three bucks between you. Deal, replies the boy, who apparently was the group leader. What are these, anyway? asked the second boy, a curly-haired rascal who, with the third friend, struggled to carry one of the heavy sacks from either end. Mail-in votes, says McClutter, for the election. Is that so? says the tow-headed boy. In that case, mister, you can save your silver dollars. We'll carry em in for free. And the other teens nodded in agreement. 
Why so generous, asked McClutter. Have you enough ice cream cones and chocolate bars that you refuse payment? No, says the child, but we'll do anything we can to help Mr. Trump get reelected and at no charge. Bless you, gentlemen, says McClutter, and Lord, didn't he look like he might cry. But as he and the uh, and three boys dragged the sacks inside, they were stopped by a receptionist at the front desk. Can I help you, asked she. Yes, ma'am, says McClutter. I'm from the U.S. Postal Service, and we're here to deliver some more mail-in ballots before the deadline. Hmm, says the receptionist. If you're with the post office, where's your uniform? And McClutter suddenly realized that he'd plumb forgotten to don the proper attire, which was still hanging in the closet at his motel. But Mr. Trump had chosen him for this job because he was resourceful. Some might even say deceptive. And he proved himself so today. Oh, says he, that's because, uh... Because it's, uh, Casual Tuesday. That's right. It's Casual Tuesday at the U.S. Postal Service. Never heard of it, says the receptionist. Well, replies McClutter, you wouldn't have because, uh, because Louis DeJoy, you know, the Postmaster General, he just introduced it this week. Ain't that a hoot? The receptionist paused for a moment, and McClutter held his breath. Then she said, I guess that sounds plausible, and waved him on in. That was nice of Mr. DeJoy, says the curly-haired lad. Starting casual Tuesday? He's a fine man, says McClutter, a fine man. The four of them then dragged the sacks into the tabulation room where the votes were being counted. Here we are, says McClutter, more legitimate ballots in a free and fair election. Then he turned to leave, beckoning the boys to follow. Hold it, says a tall, thin young man in a goatee. As a security measure, I've got to inspect the contents of those bags. Of course, says McClutter, trying to sound, trying his best to sound nonchalant. Go right ahead. The staffer opened one of the sacks and pulled out an envelope, holding it up to the light. Looks okay, says he. A hundred percent, I'm sure, says McClutter, who again turned to go. Wait a minute, says the young man. Look at this. I don't see a return address here. Then he picked up another envelope, and then another, and another. There's no return address on any of these. Oh, uh, says McClutter, the reason for that, uh, the reason for that is, uh, is because the post office is doing such a great job. What, says the young man, what's that got to do with it? Well, says McClutter, the only reason you put a return address on an envelope is for fear it won't be delivered to the right place. But the president got the postal system running so well, every letter goes just where it's supposed to each and every time. Consequently, nobody needs a return address, see? Hmm, says the staffer. If you were referring to any president other than Mr. Trump, I'd find that statement suspicious. But under the circumstances, I'll take you at your word. Good day, citizen, and thank you for your service with the USPS. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was just one of hundreds of similar scenes playing out across the United States as bags of mail-in votes suddenly turned up at one election board after another. And in the days that followed, well, I don't have to tell you. Mr. Trump's supporters, which means just about everybody everywhere, sat open-mouthed as Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, state after state, slowly fell to his rival. How could this be, cried Bill Stepien to the White House staff. The greatest and most beloved commander-in-chief of modern times is being beaten by Joe Biden? Joe Biden? And he wasn't the only one upset. No, sir. When Mr. and Mrs. Trump sat down for Friday supper at Merton's Diner, 
they found the mood decidedly glum. All the customers were just picking at their food as the television showed the president trailing his rival by 40 electoral votes. So the commander-in-chief, you know what he did right there and then? He did exactly what he does best. That man spread sunshine and happiness. He went out to his vehicle, see, a 2012 Ford Explorer, and when he came back, he was carrying his old banjo, his favorite smile starter, as he liked to say, and the instrument he used to court Melania so many years ago. I've had enough of these long faces, says he. Let's see if we can't lighten the mood round here. Then he started playing Wabash Cannonball, real lively and inviting all the patrons to join in. They did, too, and soon the whole diner was singing loud and cheerful. Next came Salty Dog, Little Maggie, and Biome Cabbage Down. By the time the president got to Cotton-Eyed Joe, every man, woman, and child in that place was on their feet dancing. Everyone was so busy having fun, in fact, that they failed to notice on the television that Biden had crept ahead in Pennsylvania. Crept ahead and stayed there so that, come Saturday, well... Against all logic, he was declared the president-elect. At 11.25 a.m., a minute after the announcement, the first lady, along with the president's daughter Ivanka and her husband Jared, entered the Oval Office to break the news. Daddy, says Ivanka, tears in her eyes. Daddy, we have something to tell you. Well, if it's something bad, says the president, hearing it from you will mitigate the sting. But his daughter couldn't bear to speak the words, so Melania summoned the courage, the same courage she'd shown as a champion rodeo rider back in the day, to deliver the blow. Biden has won the election, says she. He will be the 46th president of the United States. With that, the room was quiet, at least until Mr. Trump, he says, he says, I see. Well, I hope you're not fretting over it. All of us, we've, we've gotten to serve the American people for four years, and that's honor enough for anybody, don't you think? It is indeed, says Jared, a choke in his voice. Mr. President, Ivanka tells me that when she was a little girl, you'd comfort her with butterfly kisses. With your permission, sir, I'd like to ease her sadness by delivering those same kisses to her tonight. You'd better smile, the commander-in-chief, or I'll have something to say about it. Unable to speak further, Jared and Ivanka left the room together, arm in arm. Well, says Melania, at least you've left the country in such strong shape, not even Joe Biden could screw it up. Oh, says her husband, I just had good luck and wonderful people to work with. But there was a twinkle in his eye, a telltale glint that said, well, it said more than words. Something's up, says Melania, something you're not telling me. The president said nothing at first, and then rose from his chair and after first looking left and then right to make sure nobody was in the hallway, closed the office door. Like I admitted before, says he, I never could fool you. As he returned to his desk, Melania took a seat opposite, giving him a no-nonsense look that told him he'd better come clean. Truth is, says Mr. Trump, looking kind of sheepish, I did something I'm not proud of. With regard to this election, I mean, because uh, I sort of, uh, well, I sort of cheated. The first lady started in surprise, her back ramrod straight. How could you have done that, says she? The Lord himself couldn't penetrate the election safeguards in place. The president shrugged. Never underestimate Bick McClutter. Bick McClutter, says Melania. You mean that desperate international criminal you reformed and converted to baptism? 
I guess it was really Jesus who did the reforming, says the president. And how did you and the nefarious Mr. McClutter subvert the electorate, asked Melania, hands on hips. Oh, says Mr. Trump, looking decidedly uncomfortable, by forging thousands upon thousands of mail-in ballots and delivering them to election boards all over the country. If that's true, says the first lady, then why didn't you win? Because, says the commander-in-chief gently, all of those fake ballots were for Biden. What, says Mrs. Trump? They were all votes for Biden, says her husband. It was the only way he was going to beat me. But, but I don't understand, says Melania. Why would you help him win? Well, says the president, I guess it's because I've come up with a better use for my time. Doing what, asked his wife. The commander-in-chief opened the bottom drawer of his desk and drew out a well-thumbed Bible. Bringing God's word, says he, to the most impoverished countries on earth. Mr. Trump set the good book in front of him and laid his palm on the cover. Places so desolate and dangerous, he added, that I daren't ask you to come with me. But Melania, without hesitation, placed her own hand over his so that they were both laid on the Bible. You just try leaving me behind, says she. You just try it, Donald Trump. The president smiled, his wide grin matched by that of his faithful wife. Then they both bowed their heads and prayed, beseeching the Lord to watch over America while they carried news of his miracles to the far corners of the earth. Yes, sir, and amen. Play me out, Zeke. Oh, 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 o